right, this time we'll let the young people slip out the back for Children's Church, and the rest of us, we can be opening our Bibles to Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're continuing on our study in Ecclesiastes, and we're in the middle of chapter 5 right now. We're going to finish off chapter 5 uh, this week, hopefully, and uh, move into chapter 6 uh, next week. And uh, also, I just wanted to mention that next week we will have a sign-up sheet out on Easter Sunday. We always have breakfast together as a church uh, before the service, and uh, so we'll have a sign-up sheet uh, for that uh, starting next Sunday just so we can have a count for the food, and that'll be back on the Welcome Center. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we've been in this study in Ecclesiastes, and, and as, as we've been continuing on through our study, as Solomon keeps working his way through uh, different things that he is trying to find fulfillment, satisfaction, in, and, and, and as we've pointed out many times, his thinking is for the most part an, an under-the-sun thinking that's mentioned many times in the book, where this is just, he thinks with no eternal focus, no heavenly focus, no godly focus. He's just looking at things from a perspective here on earth with a perspective that when his time here on earth is done, it's done. And so because of that, Solomon keeps coming up empty, finding things are vain, empty, uh, fruitless, and, and don't satisfy what he's looking for. And, and that's going to be a continuation as we continue into chapter 5 and verse 8. And he's going back to a theme he's mentioned once before, and uh, that is the idea of uh, the presence of oppression and injustice. The presence of oppression and injustice. Notice what he says uh, in chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. So isn't it interesting that all the way back in the time that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the things he's, he's looking at is the oppression of people and injustice in the world. He, he, he says, listen, he says, if, if, if you see the oppression of poor people, and, and he says, if you, if you see the perverting of judgment and justice, he's basically saying it, it shouldn't shock you. Now, to me, that's very interesting because we live in a time where constantly we see the perversion of justice. We constantly see people um, being uh, let off that should be taken care of some way by the law, and we see them uh, just let off to, to do whatever crimes they do again, and it's a perverting of justice. And, uh, and, and we, see, we still see the oppression of people today. Now, it's also interesting that, that Solomon would identify the oppression of people because Solomon had so many people that worked for his kingdom that basically at his death went to his son and demanded better wages, better care from Solomon's kingdom. So Solomon's writing about the oppression of people, and he was one of the greatest offenders. In oppressing people. That's interesting, isn't it? What does that tell us? It tells us that sometimes we can see something in somebody else that we can't see in ourselves. You know, folks, sometimes <laughs> we just need to look in the mirror and get a real realistic answer to what our life looks like. Right? That's what a mirror does, right? I mean, I get up in the morning and I go to the mirror and it's not a pretty sight, I can tell you. It's, you know, I mean, I don't know what I do at night with my hair, but I mean, it's just going every direction as it does most of the time in here. But I mean, the mirror gives you the true picture, right? 
What, what, it, what you are is what gets reflected back at you whether you like it or not. Well, so to speak, in our life, we should be doing the same thing. We should be looking in a mirror to re get a realistic view of what our life is like. And sometimes we may find something we don't like there, and then we need to deal with that. But Solomon is, is, is looking at this as, as, a, as a perspective that, that this is a problem, and yet he was one of the greatest offenders. And, and so he sees this problem, and he, and he says, you know, if you see this in a province, marvel not at the matter. And then he says this, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be a higher than they. So, so the, word, the word higher there is, is really a, a word that deals with being a high official. And so basically he's saying there's a high official, and he's got somebody higher than him. And then there's an ultimate higher one. Well, who's the ultimate highest? Jesus Christ, God. So, so even though he's in this, this, this thinking where he, everything's coming up, vanity, everything's vain, there's oppression, there's injustice, he recognizes that there is a hierarchy. And the hierarchy is God is on the top. <laughs> That's the hierarchy. Now, underneath God, there's all kinds of injustice and all kinds of whatever, but God is in control. And, and we have to understand, even in our day, listen, I, my... I, my heart breaks sometimes when I read the news. I'm just telling you, folks. I look at, I look, I go, I don't read a newspaper. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big reader, so I don't like to read a newspaper. I like quick little tidbits. So I go on Fox News about two or three times a day, once in the morning, once in the middle of the day, once at night. I go on their website just to see what is going on in our country and in the world. And I'll tell you, folks, my heart breaks when I read some of the stories that make headlines. It, 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 it's just unbelievable some of the things that, and, and Solomon says we shouldn't be shocked by this. And, and in, the, in the under the sun thinking, his, his, his answer is just, listen, there's this person, there's somebody over him, there's somebody over him, and then there's ultimately an ultimate authority. Now, we know that the ultimate authority is God. I, I believe Solomon in this passage was basically saying there's an ultimate authority that was God. This was one of those moments where he kind of came to his senses and realized there was, there was something more than what was taking place here on this earth. But he never actually addresses that or says that. <coughs> but I believe from this passage, I think we can kind of read that in there. So then he says in verse 9, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all... The king himself is served by the field. So, so Solomon's trying to come to grips with the injustice, with the perverting of judgment. And, and then he says, the prophet of the earth, what is the prophet of the earth? The crops that the earth yields, the, the food that the earth yields, he, he says it's for all. It's for the king and the poor man. And, and so what is Solomon understanding. He's, he's coming to, a, to grips with an understanding that though Solomon lived this opulent life where everything was at his fingertips, anything he could want was there, he's recognizing that there's certain things in life that level the playing field. And the need for food to survive levels the playing field. It didn't matter if he was in the palace or the poorest person in his kingdom, both needed food to live. If either one of them lacked food, there would be a point at which they would not live. They wouldn't cease to exist because they would die without food. And so Solomon, because remember now, <coughs> Solomon's looking at this thing, and he's trying to find fulfillment for himself. 
He's not trying to find fulfillment for all of us down the road. He's trying to find fulfillment for himself. He's looking to all these things, trying to see where can I find fulfillment? Where can I find satisfaction? And so one of it was he's thinking, I live in the palace. I, I, I have food at my beck and call. Food just comes into the palace constantly. We'll actually look at that later, I, I think. Uh, I think I, I wrote down the verse. I think it may be in next week's message. Uh, but uh, but at, the, at the amount of food that came into Sol Solomon's palace, it was unbelievable. Okay, it was unbelievable. And, uh, and, and, and so he's saying, listen, everyone benefits from the food that the earth brings forth. If it's handled properly, it's adequate for food for everyone. But even the king is servant or subjected to the field. In other words, without the crops being grown in the field, I'm not going to be living even as a king because I have to eat. And the poor person has to eat. You know, it, it, it's the same thing when you, when you think about wealth, and he's going to go into look at wealth here in just a minute, but when you think about wealth, you know, you think, you think about, I, I can think of the, the wealthiest man I would know in this world and, you know, when he gets out of bed in the morning, he has to put his pants on the same way I do. You know, it's true. It's true. I, he, he could be a multi-multi-billionaire, and when he gets up in the morning, he's got to put his pants on and eat a meal just like I have to. There are certain things that level the playing field no matter where you are in the spectrum of life. And Solomon was beginning to see that the playing field was leveled when it came to food even though he lived in the palace. And it bothers him. Because again, he can't find the fulfillment that he is looking for. And then he goes into verse 10, Roman numeral 2, the vanity of wealth and materialism. Boy, that's a sermon that I'll preach today. The vanity of wealth and materialism. Notice what he says. He says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity, empty, unfulfilling. But isn't it interesting? He says, he that loveth silver will never be satisfied with silver. No matter how much silver he gets, it's never going to satisfy. Why? Because, folks, wealth doesn't bring satisfaction in life. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ brings satisfaction in life. That's where we are fulfilled. Jesus Christ said, I came to give them life and life more abundantly. And, and another passage says that Jesus Christ, who is our life, that's where fulfillment comes from. That's where finding life that, that's not just running after things that go away comes from. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says in this verse, he says, He that loveth silver shall not, shall not be satisfied with silver. That's, that's, that's a staggering statement. The guy who loves silver will never be satisfied with the thing he loves. Why? Because his love's in the wrong place. And see, folks, as long as we live on this earth with our love in the wrong place, we will never be satisfied, no matter how much we have. Because the second part of that verse, he says the person who just wants to have more abundance is vanity. 
the person that loveth abundance with increase, the person who just wants more and more and more and more, doesn't find satisfaction. When I get home at night, sometimes I like to just vegetate in front of the TV for a little bit, and, and sometimes I like to find a show that I'll watch for a while, so it's kind of got some kind of theme. Ha, ha, anybody ever see the show Hoarders? It's been a long time, I think, since I've done a Hoarders. It's been like 10 years or something. But anyway, I've been watching the Hoarders. And, you know, it's funny uh, because as you, as, as you listen to them talk to these people, these people that hoard things, some of them hoard very nice things, but they hoard and they hoard and they hoard because they think the things are going to fulfill something that's missing in their life. And you know what they find every single time? No fulfillment. Doesn't fulfill. The hoarding of things doesn't fit. Why? Because the man who loves silver is not going to be fulfilled with silver. And see, Solomon keys in on a very key word in that, in that passage, and the word is love. Love. See, there's nothing wrong, folks, with having money. There's not. If you, if you have a good job and you have earned a, a good living and you are successful financially, there is not a thing wrong with that in the world. We need Christians who have money that can help the cause of Christ. But here's the problem. And Solomon keys in on the word, and the word we see again in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. See, it's not the money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of the money that's the root of all evil. Why? Because we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And so if in place of that, we have put the love of money, there's a problem. And that's where it becomes evil to a person. It's the love of the money that becomes a problem. Instead... Notice if we continue to read in that passage, because we always stop there. We always say, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's all everybody, any, every, anybody ever reads from that passage. But continue on. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the piercing, I'm, I'm picturing an arrow. So I'm picturing the person who loves money, he's what? He's erred from the faith. And it's like he just sat there and stabbed himself with arrows, pierced himself through with arrows. But it goes on. Notice what it says. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. See, we don't read. We, we stop at the, root, the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't read the rest of the passage. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good of fight of faith, lay hold on, oh, eternal life, whereunto thou art also, art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know where Solomon would have found fulfillment? If he followed what was said in verses 11 and 12 here. Not going after wealth, not going after financial security. He would have found it if he fled those things and followed after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. That's what the scripture tells us. That's where fulfillment is found. It's not found in the love of these things. We are to lay hold on eternal life. 
Three times already, Solomon has kind of looked at, at this topic in chapter 1 and verse 8. There's no satisfaction with what he could see and wanting more. The things he could see with his eyes couldn't find satisfaction. There wasn't enough of them. Then in chapter uh, 2, verses 10 and 11, there was no satisfaction with the work of labor. He just labored more and labored more, but never found satisfaction in it. Then, then chapter 4 and verse 8, there was no end to the labor. He didn't have anybody to pass it on to, so he just kept laboring, just kept laboring, just kept laboring. All these things, and now it's the money. And Solomon, he's, he's looking for fulfillment and satisfaction, and it's not coming. He's not finding it because he's looking in the wrong places. That's the problem. Money cannot be taken uh, with us, so there is vanity in stockpiling it. Very interesting, in 2006, a gentleman wrote a book, and this was the title of the book. It was Money for Nothing, One Man's Journey Through the Dark Side of Lottery Millions. It was a book that a guy wrote about winning the lottery back in 2006. And in that book, he revealed that thousands of lottery winners, out of the thousands that he interviewed and talked to and checked up on, thousands of them, very few were happy, and most of them wished they had never won the lottery. And we would say, what? That doesn't make sense. You know, you get up there, you hold the big checkup on the TV, you know, I won, you know, $3.1 million in the lottery. And by the way, I know somebody who won $3.1 million in the lottery, and you know what it did? It wrecked their life. Their marriage ended, they lost it all, and I believe the last time I heard from them, that I've heard of them, they had to declare bankruptcy after winning 3.1 million in the lottery. And, uh, but anyway, but the book interviewed thousands of winners, and they're not happy. As a matter of fact, not only are they not happy, they wish they had never even won it. And we would say, why is that? Because the lottery purports to bring you fulfillment in life, but that is not where we find fulfillment. Fulfillment is not found in money. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saying, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? What is he saying there? He's saying, listen, when you have increased in goods, you have increased expenses. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about when, I, I, I often think about when, I, when Joyce and I first got married. Because I remember when I got my first full-time job after Joyce and I got married, I was going to make $15,000 a year. That was my first full-time job. I had a friend, good friend that I grew up with, and he had two job offers for his first two jobs, and the difference between the two job offers was $15,000. So he was getting much more money than I had because his difference between the two offers he had was the same amount I was getting for a year of work. But I think back at our life when we were first married, making $15,000 a year, and what expenses did we have? And then I look at life now, this many years later, we certainly make more than $15,000 a year. You folks are very gracious with my salary. Joyce works part-time. I have my mowing business. So I, we certainly make more than $15,000 a year, but you know what? We have a lot more expenses too. We do. And I feel like we live pretty frugally. We're not high spenders or anything, but we have more expenses. Why? Because we have more money. It comes with the territory. 
And so that's what Sol Solomon is finding. Now remember, Solomon is the wealthiest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. The Bible tells us nobody ever will be as wealthy as Solomon was, even in this day, modern day. And we looked at that when we first studied this, 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 uh, this whole passage in Ecclesiastes. We looked at people like Elon Musk and the one guy that's got more wealth than him. I forget the guy's name now. But anyway, the, their wealth was nothing compared to what Solomon's was, according to what Scripture tells us. Nothing. I mean, there, I mean the, the wealth of Elon Musk is, is like... I don't remember, it was like 2% or 3% of what Solomon's kingdom was worth. I mean, it's, 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 there's no, not even a comparison. And, and Solomon is saying, there's a problem with getting all this money. I have to spend more money to take care of the money. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And so with this vicious cycle, what happens? I'm not fulfilled. I'm not fulfilled. If, if I could be written in on one of Elon Musk's bank accounts today, I would think, man, that's pretty good. I go get me a new car. You know, if, I, if, I could, if I could be, you know, a signer on one of his bank accounts, you know, that would be pretty cool. But you know what? It's not going to bring satisfaction. It's not. Because if you've ever owned a new car in your life, you know what happens to a new car? One trip down the road and a truck throws a rock at your windshield and it's not a new car anymore. Right? I'm serious. Is that not the truth? You drive it out of the dealership, and within a week, it's gotten dinged in a parking lot, or it's, or it's got a chip in the windshield. And from the day you drive it off the lot, I mean, what do we know about new cars? The minute you drive it off the lot, what? It's lost a percentage of its value, right? See, we, think, we, we, have, been, we have been taught in our society that these things bring fulfillment. And they just don't bring fulfillment, folks. Now listen, again, there's nothing wrong with having a brand new car. Not a thing. But if you put your value of your life in the fact that you own that car, there is a problem. A big problem. There's a huge disconnect with what we should be thinking about and what we are thinking about. And so that's what Solomon was finding. He was finding that, that wealth was great, except for now I have to spend a whole lot more money because of that wealth. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And then he says this in verse 12, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he little or much. Now think about that. The sleep of the laboring man is sweet. What's he saying? He's saying the guy that gets out there and works hard, he has a nice rest at night. Whether he had a lot to eat or a little to eat, he's worked hard with his hands. I don't know about you folks, but when I work hard with my hands, when I put a good day's labor in, it, I feel good about it at the end of the day. I feel like I've accomplished something at the end of the day. I've worked hard. I may not have a lot of money to show for it, but I worked hard today, and the work of my hands, I'm going to sleep well at night tonight because I worked hard. But notice what he says. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. What's he saying? The man that has all the wealth, he can't sleep at night. Why? Because he's worried about his wealth. He doesn't get a restful night's sleep. 
The guy that goes out there and works hard with his hands, he's the guy that gets a good night's sleep. The guy that has it all, he doesn't sleep because he's worried about losing it all. And so what is all this pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that Solomon has already told us that wealth and materialism brings vanity. And yet he still keeps looking there. Isn't it interesting? Keeps looking for it. Keeps looking for the fulfillment in it, and it's not bringing the fulfillment he wants. That takes us to point three today, the uncertain end of wealth. Notice what he says in verse 13. Sorry, give me one second. My mouth's a little dry today. Verse 13. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. What's he talking about? He's talking about the man who grabs a hold to his wealth with clenched hands and says, it's for me. It's for me. I'm not going to share it with other people. I'm going to keep it to myself. And see, folks, this can be a problem with wealth. Because there are so many good causes for the Lord that you could use some of that wealth to help. You could help those in need in the community. You can support the church. You can send missionaries to foreign countries to preach the gospel. There are so many things you can do if you have the money to do it. And, and folks, what I have found is people that have money and use it for the Lord are some of the happiest people I know. Some of the happiest people I know. Because they're, they're not hoarding the wealth for themselves. They're using it for God. They have an eternal focus. And, and they're, they're supporting missionaries themselves monthly. They may give to the church so the church can support, you know, the 36, 37 missionary projects we support. But they, some of them support missionaries themselves. They send a check directly to the missionary. Why is that? Because they have an eternal focus. Their focus is not just here on this earth, not just under the sun like Solomon's was, but they have an eternal focus. But notice what he says. He, he, says, he, he says there is a sore evil. It, it, it's a sick, the word severe is sick, or the word sore is sick, and evil is disaster or misfortune. He says it is a sick misfortune, a sick disaster for a man to have money and clench his fists and say, I'm not giving it to anybody. I'm just going to hoard it. I'm going to hang on to it. That's what it's saying. He says, but those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. He says, he says the wealth goes away. Why? Because, folks, when our time on earth is done, we're not taking it with us. Doesn't matter how much you have. You're not taking it with you. A billionaire can have billions in the bank. And the day he dies, that money does him no good anymore at all. Doesn't do him a bit of good. He's done. He's gone from this earth. Now, he's got an eternity to spend somewhere, and hopefully he had an eternal focus like we've been talking about all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But his money helps him no more. It may give him a fancy funeral, but it's done then. It's over. The money doesn't help anymore. 
And it says, he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. Solomon is looking at the, at the vanity of these things. And so he goes on, he says, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go, as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. He says, basically, you come into this world with nothing, you're going to leave this world with nothing. And you know what, folks? That's another one of those things that levels the playing field. Every one of us comes into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave this world with nothing. No matter how much wealth you've accumulated in your lifetime, you're leaving with nothing. And so he's looking at the uncertain end of the wealth. What, what happens, I'm realizing now, Solomon's realizing when I die, I mean, he's probably in his elder years here. We don't know that for sure when he wrote Ecclesiastes. We don't know for sure, but he probably is... is older at this point, heading towards the end of his life, and, and he's realizing all this vanity of, of things, and, and he's looking towards the end, and he's thinking, uh, I can't take it with me. So it's vain. It's evil. It's like an evil trick that somebody played on me. I amassed this fortune, and I can't do anything with it when I leave. That's kind of what, he, what he's thinking like. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? Ah, here's some of the conclusion that Solomon draws. He says, I've labored all my life. Remember, now Solomon did a lot of labor, right? I mean, he had great things built, kingdom and, you know, buildings and irrigation systems and all this stuff. And his palace was unbelievable. And, uh, and, and he had all stuff. And he says, he says, it's like... Like what? Again, grasping at the wind. It's like, it's like I'm trying to catch it, trying to catch it. I read a story this week in a commentary about a little boy in school, and, and it was back before the, before the days of air conditioning, and they were out at recess, and he noticed one day at recess that, uh, it, it, that there was a really nice breeze blowing at recess in the shade. So he, got, he started thinking real hard, and so the next day he came to recess with a mason jar with a lid. And so when recess started, he went to the place where he could feel the coolest breeze, and he held the jar open like this towards where he felt the breeze come from. He put the lid on real tight, and he went back into his classroom, and when the classroom got got so hot in the middle of the day, he all of a sudden pulled that jar out, he took the lid off and held it up against his face. And guess what? It wasn't a nice cool breeze, was it? <laughs> it was grasping at the wind. And Solomon's coming to the conclusion here that everything, every bit of wealth that I've amassed, every bit of thing I've labored with my hands to build, because it doesn't have eternal focus, it's grasping at wind. Nothing there. Nothing there. It says, all his days, verse 17, also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Solomon says it, it, it just brings sorrow. That's all it does. Oppression and injustice in this world, wealth and the fleeting character of it. And all these things, Solomon's just like, it's empty, it's empty, it's empty. Folks, that should be a lesson to us. Where should, where should our focus be? Nothing wrong with having things, but we need an eternal focus. We need an eternal focus. We need to focus on life past this life. The Bible tells us this life is just a vapor. Now listen, I'm in no hurry to get out of this life. I enjoy my life. 
I love my wife. I love my kids, my family. I, I, I love being your pastor. I'm not in a hurry to get out of this life. But my thinking in this life better be looking towards the next life. When I spend eternity in heaven, I better have an eternal focus that has some meaning there and doesn't end when this body goes in the grave here. That's what Solomon's problem throughout this entire book. Constantly looking at life from an earthly perspective instead of a heavenly perspective. And we can learn a lot from that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message today. I don't know how the Lord spoke to your heart today, but there's a lot of truths, there's a lot of principles in this passage that, that I'm telling you, Solomon could have wrote this passage today and it would be no more timely. Injustice in this world oppression in this world, people striving to gain wealth so they can hang on to it and try to keep it all the way to the end. This, this passage could have been written in 2023. And I don't know how the Lord spoke to your heart today. Maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer with him. You can stay seated at your seat. The rest of us stand with our heads bowed, eyes closed as we come to the end of the service. Maybe you just need to spend some time praying to God today. Maybe you're here today and your life has been about earthly things. You've never trusted God as your Savior and, and, and never given your life over to Him. Today would be a wonderful day to do that. But I'm going to ask the pianist to just play for a moment this morning, and we'll wait. If you need to do business with God, now's the time to do it.